everyone, and welcome to another episode of Panels and Bars. You're joined as ever by your hosts, Patrick Allen and BB Manic. This week, Patrick is going to explain Neon Genesis, but first, the news. In a record-breaking deal, Microsoft has purchased Activision Blizzard for nearly $70 billion. This is Microsoft's biggest deal to date in a decade of seemingly them buying every studio possible. I have thoughts, but first, Patrick, what do you think of this? I mean, I think that it'll probably take a while to go through. So from what I can understand, it'll be about a year before the deal clears. Uh, so I bet that this year's Call of Duty will probably say the same. It's kind of difficult with Activision because... Whilst technically they own a lot of things, they don't really make any games anymore mm. except for Call of Duty. Like, they've got, like, eight studios and they all just make Call of Duty. Um, obviously, you get Blizzard with that. Um, but again, like, Blizzard, Blizzard have got, like, Overwatch and, and World of Warcraft, but a lot of Blizzard's other development has kind of been backburnered over the years so they can focus on just a few things. Like, it's obviously a massive deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the one of the other studios as part of this is um, the studio behind Candy Crush, and so the thinking behind a lot of people, thinking for a lot of people, has been, and obviously we're all just speculating. We don't know at this point, but it seems to be a lot of these studios now know that the mobile market is where this industry is heading, and so it could be a thing of Microsoft is getting out on top of that, or it could be, and this is the more sinister, cynical way to look at it. Microsoft is just buying the competition who could possibly beat them in that respect and they'll shutter a lot of these smaller studios. Well, I mean, King Candy Crush makes $800 million a year yeah. or something. So, like, I think that probably is a big part of it. And and I think there's also a level at which, if it happens in the end, Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, if they bought Call of Duty, FIFA, and GTA, I think they'd probably effectively relegate Sony to a permanent second place, I yeah. would imagine. Um, but and at the same time... Point, this is when I start thinking, like, what does it take for something to be considered a monopoly? Like, those few titles you just listed, on top of the existing exclusives they already have... At what point does a regulator step in and say this is too much power for a company to have and it doesn't allow independence to thrive properly? I mean, Microsoft are solid third in terms of console sales, so I imagine that they probably won't look at it like that for a while. Like, I think if they bought Call of Duty and then became the market leader and then tried to buy GTA, then I think a regulator might think about that. But at the moment where they're selling less consoles than Sony and Nintendo, I can't see anybody trying to look at them as a monopoly because they're not. Like, you know what I mean? Like they have they have less than a third of the marketplace. So like no matter who they buy. And the other the other on the flip side of it, like I know that Call of Duty is still one of the big I know it's still the biggest selling game in the world, but I do wonder like, I think these things have to have some sort of shelf life. And I do wonder at what point, like, Call of Duty in terms of, like, critically, and I think in terms of, like, I don't know, in terms of, like, the way that people talk about it, it is on a downward trajectory. This is the it's thing. It is one, one of those strange phenomenons where if you were talking in any kind of space where game fans and people who purchase games talk, it's always looked at with disdain. It's always thought of in a negative connotation yet somehow every year they sell 10 million copies a day so 
Yeah. There is still some weird fan base. It's the same thing as Fortnite. The amount of people that are like, oh, Fortnite's had its time and it's been and gone. It still has a massive fan base. They still keep doing these add-on packs. Same thing with Call of Duty. So I, I, it's weird. I, as you, I, I have the same perception you have. And so it's going to be interesting to see what Microsoft's impression of that is. Is it, you know, are they going to like try and switch it up or do they realise, yeah, it's their FIFA. It, it's going to make us money every year. Let's just keep pumping it out. Well, and it is weird. Like it is a big deal for Sony because last year's best-selling PlayStation game was the new Call of Duty and its second best-selling PlayStation game was the, the last year's Call of Duty. <laughs> so like it is still a huge moneymaker um, I do, and, and obviously, like, there's the potential that they could put World of Warcraft on Xbox, mm. um, or they could roll it into Game Pass and get people back on that. Yeah. Um, I do think it's a big deal, but it's difficult because, like, in terms of pure numbers, Activision is giant, but in terms of games they make, Activision is like four games now. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's not when they made, when they bought Bethesda and Tango and all those other companies, all the Zenimax companies. I was like, that's a hundred games over the next five years or whatever. That's and that's loads of big franchises that I love. Yeah. Exclusive to Xbox. Whereas this, I can't help but feel that it's not really aimed at people like me. Mm. Because for me, it's a bit like, oh, Call of Duty's like like the the some difference of this is that when I turn on my PlayStation, I won't see the Call of Duty logo on the store. <laughs> but when I turn on my Xbox, I will. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I like I haven't played I haven't played Call of Duty for I don't know. Like I played Warzone a bit, but I haven't played the mainline. Call I think I've played like it since years. Modern Warfare. Yeah, I played Modern Warfare too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so I think that that's a difficult thing because a lot of this is aimed at a more mainstream audience. I assume though, Sony. I would not be surprised at all to see Sony buy something big. Um, I would guess that, like, apparently they're looking at some sort of merger with Netflix. I've heard this. Yeah, it'd be interesting. So. I mean, who knows what that would produce? But if I was Sony, I would be trying to buy GTA. Yeah, I, I would. I would be trying to buy something to count. I, I think FIFA will probably always stay multi-platform because football. And so I would be looking to try and purchase something that I could go. Well, this is my big game that I own. Yeah, um, and I heard someone talking about w- the WWE franchise. Uh, which a couple of years ago would have been a great idea because that was selling gangbusters. Unfortunately, after the last installment, which is riddled with bugs and glitches, I don't know how much fanfare you could drum. Yeah. However, there is a new installment coming out. The publisher 2K has promised that they've they've learned from their mistakes. So if the previews of that are coming out and you know they look good and it gets, it, you know, the, the beta testers and whatnot are giving it good feedback, who knows, maybe that might be the thing you try and, and grab. Sports games, often the licensor will have a contract where they say that they can't be exclusive to one mm, platform. Which makes sense. So Sony, so Sony own the exclusive license to make Major League Baseball games, but they have to release them on the Xbox as well. <laughs> Because the the baseball licenses licenses are just like I'm we need to reach as many people as possible, yeah. Yeah, you're not you're not trapping that in one place. Whereas GTA could be I th- one thing I thought was mad was that I read that in terms of price, Microsoft could have bought EA and Take Two, who own GTA, for the price they paid for Activision. And that seems insane to me. Like yeah. why would you not lock down all of EA's games and GTA? I think the thing for me is <sighs> I see why you would go the other way because while we all hold Take Two and Rockstar in this this real high esteem, we also have to look at their output. And whilst <laughs> you and I understand 
the mechanics of how long it takes to develop a game and how long and and what the what it can be on the back end for that hard work stockholders might not necessarily so if you're able to give them a catalog where you can say look call of duty comes out at least once a year sometimes more and with downloadable content and add-on packs and blah blah that's one ip already whereas would take two a lot of they do like i said the last wwe actually i think they might have skipped last year so you've two years since the last installment and then how many years are we coming up now on, on grand theft auto uh i think it's if, eight or nine yeah exactly so if we don't cut if we don't count the online which i don't think a lot of stockholders would it is a riskier investment like obviously you and i see the value in buying both of those catalogs ea and take two i think a stockholder you can easily give them activism blizzard and with those catalogs you can say look this will get this back within the first year. We'll be able to, with the right restructuring and the right marketing, we'll get that investment back. I mean, GTA Online makes like a hundred million dollars a year or whatever. True. So, like, it is a big deal. Um, I think what's interesting is that it's always tempting to be like, "Hey, here's like," because they now own Microsoft now own Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and Tony Hawk and I guess lots of other things, lots of other old brands that the Activision don't use. And it's always tempting to be like, oh, maybe they'll maybe they'll roll out a Crash Bandicoot game or whatever. But I don't think they will. No. What, what, what we need is uh, Tony Hawk's Smash Brothers where loads of old skaters just punch each other with skateboards. I also think that it might be nice for some of those studios, some of the eight studios who make Call of Duty every year, maybe Microsoft will go, hey... Do you want to make a game in one of the other? Do you want to make a Doom game or something? Do you know what I mean? Like, so because they're all great FPS developers and they're all trapped making the same game every year. So maybe it'll be nice for them. And obviously, the elephant in the room in general is that Activision Blizzard is a is a you know fetid nest of sex perv creeps. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully, Microsoft will let's will clear have out a their offices. To- <laughs> Yeah, hopefully they'll have a chance to clear some of that out. Because like I saw a thing the other day being like, one of the problems with these mergers is that a lot of back office staff get duplicated. So you don't need the same like admin staff because you've you've got two companies worth of admin staff, but suddenly really you'd only need one payroll department because you're all one company. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, one of the things they were like, they were all like, you know, what happens to the HR people from Blizzard? And I was all like, well, hopefully they get fired because <laughs> they've they been doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, they're not doing the best job, are they really? <laughs> And Microsoft's board and its department heads are now really diverse. They're a really diverse group of people. If you look at a picture of the people who run Microsoft, it's not just white dudes. Good. <laughs> and that's and that's nice, isn't it? Like, um, so like more of that, like, I don't know. I think that it'll be a year or like the thing is, it's been a year or more since the Bethesda deal, and we've seen zero actual effect on yeah. anything because they're still honoring deals that they made to sell games on PlayStation and they still haven't made any games because games take five years so I think in reality like this buying spree it's completely feasible that we won't really see the results of it until the next Xbox comes out yeah. do you know what I mean like so I think that it's it's interesting and it's 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 much money but I I I don't think that it's something that anybody needs to like. Like, I've seen people online being like, wow, I guess I'm selling my PlayStation because all I play is Call of Duty and I'm going to go buy an Xbox. Like, it's really not something that you need to think about now at all. Like, the deal won't even be done for a year. And then once it's done, the deal won't have any practical impact on the industry for another year after that, at Mm. least. Like, 
But yeah, it's it's big news, big news. And another bit of big news. Uh, you remember the last time we were here, we spoke about E3 being cancelled. And Patrick said that as far as he's concerned, this probably sparks the end of the big budget, in-person, physical event that was E3. You're probably just going to see virtual presentations from now. And in response, I listed the toy and comic book industries as industries where people are now doing online presentations and realizing that there's probably not much benefit and on the back of that toy fair this year has been cancelled due to fears with omicron and i agree with what patrick said e3 i think it applies to this i think this is the nail in the coffin unfortunately and the thing is it's definitely much more feasible with this type of event because unlike comic-con which is covered by the news and it's huge and they sell tickets to the general public toy fair is very much an industry focused event i think you can buy tickets as a member of the public but they're very limited they're not super affordable so most people are put off by the idea and it's mainly for bloggers and for people that work in the magazine industry for them to be able to say what are the new figures coming out so I think the only way I can see any kind of feasible future for this is if the convention centers realize, oh, we're going to lose a lot of money if we don't have these events. And then they offer these event organizers big discounts. And then those discounts trickle down to the actual companies. I think that's the only way, realistically, these conventions still keep happening. And at that point, you don't have to wonder how much profit can anyone really make and and as we as we discussed last time we're just in an age now where it's so convenient as a company to reach your target audience do you really need to ship off a bunch of workers and print merch and have t-shirts and put people in hotels when you can just make a five minute youtube presentation and five minutes later you're the number one trending thing on twitter so I love conventions. I, I, bl I believe Patrick does too, and I, I'm going to miss them. Mm. But I think we're in an age now where, like a lot of the stuff we grew up with, you're basically trying to market a lot of the stuff we love to kids. And to, <laughs> to say to a kid, hey, do you want to stand in a really hot, sweaty convention center for two days and pay loads of money for food and pay loads of money for travel and pay loads of money for a hotel? They'll be like, no, Nintendo's going to have a live stream at eight o'clock. I'll just watch that. So, I did, how'd you do that? So much of it was all in place because print media was so important. Yeah. You needed a place where all the journalists could go at once and get all the news. And the companies needed a place where they could go and know that there were going to be a lot of journalists. Yeah. And now print media journalists just aren't as important as they used mm -hmm. to be. And like, I mean, a lot, I'm not sure about other industries, but I know in the games industry, the magazines are fully dying. Like I went to buy a copy of Edge a couple of weeks ago because it had like an Elden Ring thing in it and it was hard to find and it's like thin and expensive. It was like six pounds yeah. and it's like half the size it used to be. So I, say, I, feel, I feel really sorry for a publication like Edge because half the stuff you publish, depending on when you come out with it, the, your readers already know and they've probably already known for several weeks. So how do you compete with that? Even they, even when they do these yeah, big in-depth dives behind 
the curtain and they're doing like all these talking to devs and showing pre-rendered visuals and all this stuff whilst that used to be exciting a lot of the times now as you said because print isn't the number one form we're getting this information from a lot of these companies don't want to take their chances just giving that exclusive to edge so nine times out of ten even if edge does this 10 page exclusive they'll probably also give an interview to ign so how does how does that medium survive well and even more than that like like Edge actually got an exclusive interview with the director of Elden Ring and it actually had new information in it and it was scanned and print, posted on Reddit before I could find a printed copy. <laughs> there you go. Even if you get something, it's never going to last yeah. because cause it'll just be online, won't it? Yeah. Like, and yeah, and I think that that's kind of, that's going to continue to, it's a trend that will just never start when it is yeah. declined. It's not going to be rectified. No one's ever going to go back to buying pieces of paper. No, and I mean, I, I buy them because I love them. But like I said, try selling that to a kid nowadays. They'll be like, I have an iPad. I don't need this. And one thing I'd say, I can't speak for E3. Maybe you'd have more n- knowledge and expertise in this. But one thing I will say for Toy Fair and for Comic-Con, one thing these guys have done, these these companies and these developers on the, on the comics and, and toy side, a lot of them are very prohibitive about photography. And not realising, actually, no, it's a benefit for me to put this on my blog. It's a benefit for me to tweet about yeah. how exciting this figure looks or this comic looks. And so a lot of the time, the staff will tell you, no, no, toy, no uh, photographs allowed. And, and it's like, this is the age we live in. And it's not even a thing of it's just it's inevitable. It's a thing of it's better for you to lean into this. It's better for yeah. you to let me take this picture because a kid from China who's not here might see that post. And then they might buy your thing when it goes online. So that's it's it's in your best interest to do that but a lot of these companies are so stuck in the print media mindset they have they really really haven't tapped into what the internet could be yeah and that's it is i think that like you also find yeah if you can't take a photo you, we have to you have to get our published photos but then what happened was that they looked at making a lot of money in the short term by letting regular people in, not just journalists. And now all the journalists hate it as well because they're like, well, I have to queue up with all the regular people and it takes me 16 hours to play one (laughs) game and why would I... Why would I? So now nobody likes it because it doesn't have any sort of purpose anymore. And I think that that's just something you can't can't really undo. I think it's insane that they're the only company that's latched onto it, but DC Fandom, I think, is the future. It's from... A logistics point of view for DC, you 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 hire out what eight green screens because they've got people across the world. You hire out these green screen people. You don't have to pay any celebrities. Most of them are tied to your studio by contract because they're all starring in DC projects. So you're able to get these big names, The Rock, Regina King, all these people to come and host this thing. So you've got that star power. They've been smart in that they have fan art segments, cosplay segments. So they're one of the first companies that really are realising, even if we don't, as a company, understand this weird fan culture, we know it exists and we know that you're passionate about it, we'll give that space. Then we'll play all the trailers, then we'll play all the, the TV show clips. It's bizarre to me that Disney didn't beat anyone to the punch. It's also bizarre to me that Toy Fair haven't been doing this, you know, have an online stream but i think fandom is probably the way it's going to go it's cheaper it's easier if you're a lazy journalist all you have to do is be like i watched this and here's what you missed and people love those as well but people don't want to sit through uh, some people don't want to sit through eight hours of footage so they love those ign articles that are like five things we learned from the batman round panel you know so i think going yeah. forward 
DC fandoms the way the industry is probably going to go across all these. I mean, mediums. rest in peace. Awful, cringy three moments though. Like the my favorite. Like I will never forget. Like the EA conference where the guy came out and gave a passionate speech, like um, amateur dramatic speech about the power of football, and that was the trailer for the new FIFA. Um, or the one where Pele came out, and it was literally like that bit from The Simpsons where he was all like, "Pele loves FIFA," and then they handed him a big bag of cash. Um, all the time that Jamie Foxx, Snoop Dogg, and Zac Efron went to play the new Battlefield, and like they were clearly all super high, but like <laughs> Zac Efron had obviously been like smoking weed with Snoop Dogg and was not keeping up, and so like he he had this like thousand yard stare, like he, he like it was it was like this World War One game, and it was like he was there, and it was cutting to these shots of him playing Battlefield, and he was like drenched in sweat, looking like he was going to cry, and then like. It cut to Snoop Dogg and he was just walking backwards and forwards into a wall. And I was like, this is this is just gold. You've also like, reminded me of, uh, I was watching a great video about the Nokia Engage and how, like the guy said, to put it into perspective, the Nokia Engage is so old that they used to have game girls at E3. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Those, those were the days. And it's, it's especially relevant for the Engage because how they revealed the price was they had a scantily clad girl who then took off her top and she had the price written on her stomach. Yep. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds like the games industry. Um, yeah, in fairness, Microsoft only like five, six years ago were all like, we're going to do better with representations of women. And then someone, some journalist was all like, I went to one of your parties yesterday and they were just like dancers dressed as schoolgirls. And Microsoft was like, hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's not that's not great, is it? It's like we didn't say when we were going to. Yeah, like I feel like there's like it's taken a long time for that lads, lads, lads nineties yeah. idea to get out of the games industry. Oh, for sure, it's just it was just so deeply ingrained in them that like you know you know what would help sell this to our audience? Women, yeah, like like women, not many clothes, women, um, <laughs> and and like and it's been years and years of people being all like. We don't like this. Yeah. And the games industry being all like, but but we like naked women. Do you not like it's it's like, do you not read FHM? And people being like, FHM went out of business years ago, guys. Like <laughs> get with the program. Right. Uh, so the last bit of news. Not massively exciting, but DC have released brand new character posters for the Batman. They really lean heavily into the relationship between Batman and Selina Kyle. So even though the initial trailers hinted that she was just making her debut in this, it seems like she might be more integral to the script than initially anticipated. So I don't think they're the most exciting um, posters. I'm personally not a fan of character posters. However, Patrick and I have discussed this in the past and I discussed it with our fantastic guest, Dan Evans. I think the comic book poster industry is uh, unfortunately in shambles right now. So I wasn't expecting anything major from this, but I am still looking forward to this film. I I think it can be good. There's some great people behind it. I'm sorry, are we not going to do the other Batman news? Go on. Uh, It's it's three hours long. Has that been confirmed? Yeah, it's two hours and like 57 minutes long. (laughs) Okay, because I I remember there was an article that leaked and and it said it was three hours long, but it also said it was R-rated. And Matt Reeves went online and said, no, it's PG-13. And that made a lot of people kick off. Which And it's, we'll, have, we'll have this discussion another time. In fact, I think we should do an entire episode dedicated to it. But this weird obsession with 
this comic that I've read that has always been aimed at kids and the ad- all the adaptations have always been PG. And then nowadays everyone's like, it has to be R-rated. It's like, why? I don't need to see Batman yeah, shoot people in the face. I'm fine. Thank you very much. There's something about old man being all like, I want children to not be able to see Batman that I find really weird. Like, I saw someone, it went, it went viral the other day. Someone was tweeting how they only got halfway through book of boba fett before they were like but sorry boba fett before they were like it's pg what star wars media do you know mainline star wars media you know that is anything above a pg like why are you mad at this the most violent i think the mainstream saga has ever been is probably darth vader's killing of the soldiers at the end of rogue one like that's as hardcore as it gets so why are you tune into a brand new disney plus show and expect to see Boba Fett like shooting people. Like, where are you getting this from? And where's it? I think it's this yeah. weird. We're now in this post Deadpool land where nothing comic book or sci fi related can be credible, you know, air quotes, unless everyone's being slain left, right, and center. It's bizarre. Yeah. And like, I, don't get me wrong. Like, I like Logan. Like, I'm happy to see a movie that's like, hey, this is an adult take on these things and especially with the characters like wolverine or deadpool it is it's appropriate to those characters yeah yeah when you have like when you have like swords or or or, like hand sword hands it's difficult to be like like there is something (laughs) about watching like (laughs) x-men yeah well like when you watch x-men the last stand the wolverine is basically just like swinging his hands at people and they're falling down (laughs) and you're a bit like did he kill all those people because it looks like he killed them all um and then they all just get up and they're all like we're fine wolverine just poked us with his claws um but like and so yeah, so sometimes I do kind of like anybody who's anybody who's it's a sword. I'm always a bit like this is going to be tough to yeah. do PG thirteen. And like there are moments as well in things where like like in Marvel films where like there's there, I can't I think it's Black Widow. There was a bit where like somebody like stabbed somebody in the chest and then like they fall down. There's no blood. And I was a bit like, what what did she do then? She just like hit her real hard with the handle of the yeah. like you know what I mean like there are there, there are moments where they try to create the aesthetics of, of violence but they don't use any violence. Yeah. I'm always a bit like this is this is weird, isn't it? Yeah. Like just have it be a bit more weightless, punchy punchy. Um but yeah, like I the consistent why isn't this why aren't we denying this to children <laughs> is really weird. Like because A it's always been for children, like you say, but B, where do you think the next generation of Batman and Star Wars fans are going to come yeah. from if we don't make anything that they're allowed to watch? Okay. Like, like I don't get it. Cause like, you know what didn't like things that were, that were like adults, like uh, Terminator and alien and stuff. They're still relevant cultural things, yeah. but they never have the longevity of things that children grow up. Mm-hmm. And that's like what we want a new generation of Batman fans. We want a new generation of kids watching Star Wars. For me, it's bizarre that there are more people saying they want an R-rated Batman film than there are people saying they want a new Brave and the Bold. That's what I want. I want campy, goofy fun for kids to get into. And even though it's not necessarily for me, I'm super happy that the highest paid actor in the world is about to play crypto because there are going to be a bunch of fans that discover crypto and bandit and all those characters. And I'm, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And Ace, you know, so I'm, yeah, I'm hundred percent with you and I love when that stuff, and the thing about Batman is I think, you know, it was a whole other discussion, but I just think integral to his character is his disdain for guns and, and violence and crime. And so one thing that's kind of amazing about him is he 
is in, in, he's incredibly focused in stopping any of that stuff from happening. And also, yeah. he has a bunch of villains and a rogues gallery that don't really depend on violence. You know, if you look at Poison Ivy, she's taking over Gotham with plants. The Penguin has an army of penguins. Like, his, uh, his weapons are umbrellas. You know, that's the yeah. great thing. He's the one guy whose characters don't revolve around guns and cannons and all this stuff. It's almost like the whole thing was written to be appropriate for people who aren't fucking adults. You know? like, it's all... <laughs> yeah, and I think it's really like, I, I also, I really think that you want to look at the Tim Burton film because you can do a film that's not like, I mean, obviously the Tim Burton film's got some weird like sex stuff in it. Yeah, plus Batman does mean. murder a few people in those films. But like you can do a film which is creepy and appropriate for children. And that's the other thing is that kids need things that are a bit weird. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That are a bit like, oh, I, like you want, I want, you want another generation of kids to have those movies that are all like, I watched that when I was young and it freaked me out. <laughs> like... <laughs> Batman could be that. Yeah, 100%. And Batman should be that. He doesn't need to be violent. He just needs to be weird because he's a weird old man that keeps adopting kids. And rather than teaching them how to be normal people, he teaches them how to punch people in the face. Absolutely. 100%. Patrick, we've been chatting for half an hour now. Let's get into the meat and bones of this week's episode. You are going to explain an insane anime slash manga to me. Go for it. It's not, it's not insane. Well, actually, that's a good place to start. So, um... So Evangelion, uh, I'm going to refer to it as Eva from now on, or Ava, because that's how the fans generally refer to it. And saying Neon Genesis Evangelion is, you know, it's 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 long. <laughs> um, so one thing that's notable about it is that it is not. So most uh, most anime is uh, is adapted from manga. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a twenty chapter, a twenty page chapter of manga a week. And then you'll have a 20-minute episode of anime a week. And both of them run forever with no breaks. There's no seasons. And so what you end up with is a problem where they run out of manga to adapt and the anime has to either make stuff up or slow down by having people go, ah, for a long time like they did Dragon Ball. We call that the Game of Thrones problem. Yes, it's exactly that. Where and 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 so there's this kind of reverence for the manga creators. So they're never going to go ahead of where the manga is, which means that what you end up with is a scenario where you run out of stuff to adapt and you've still got to put out an episode of anime this week. And that's what creates the problems that we see with things like Dragon Ball, where nothing is happening essentially because they haven't got anything to adapt. (laughs) Two men are just standing in the air for half an hour, threatening each other. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that's notable, like, in the last couple of years, anime has moved to a more... Quite a lot of popular manga has become monthly instead of weekly. So you're just nowhere near being able to do the old model. And so quite a lot of anime has moved to a seasonal model like Western broadcasts are. Uh, so like things like Attack on Titan and My Hero Academia and stuff, which are the big, kind of big hitters in anime at the moment, are made on a seasonal basis. And there's no fillers and there's no stretching it out to try and fill time and stuff. Um, but Evangelion did that, you know, 20 years ago. Um, it is it is it is a it's not based on a manga. Mm-hmm. It is a tradition. It is a kind of original anime production, okay. uh, and it was made from like ninety five to ninety six. There's like twenty six episodes, I think. Uh, and whilst it was converted into a manga later, so there is a manga available. Mm-hmm. There is a printed comic somewhere, but it is. But that's an adaptation of the series or a continuation of the series, rather than the other way around. Yes. 
as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. And it is also not widely available. Okay. Like it is, uh, I've, I've, I've got like, I think I've got a digital copy that I bought from somewhere, but it's not easy to get hold of the mm-hmm. manga because it's not, it's not the primary product. The primary product is the series. Um, it is nominally a kaiju mecha kind of thing. So there are big robots and the people get into the pilot to pilot the big robots and they have to fight monsters. The monsters are called angels. And there's one thing that's notable is that early on, there's a lot of biblical imagery. There's a lot of like Adam and Eve, angels and stuff. And you might think that that is going to mean something, but <laughs> it's it's not it's not spoilers to say the creator has been very clear that he's from Japan and doesn't have like a lot of direct understanding of Christian imagery, mm-hmm. and he just thinks it's cool. So he just kind of like he just kind of used some of that stuff, but it's not like deeply interwoven into the story. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, yeah, it's 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 not long in comparison to a lot of like given that like it's got 26 episodes and given that one piece we've just got past episode 1000 <laughs> like this is not a long anime series mm. you can watch it over a, a week or two um and it whilst it might nominally be a kaiju thing it is much more than that and it's got a lot of in-depth i'm going to try and do all of this without spoilers but like okay. there might be some like thematic spoilers i suppose like cuz it's not. It's difficult to discuss why it's popular without going into the fact that it uh, it isn't really like the first half or so is about children who pilot robots and fight big monsters, uh, and then from there it becomes a bit more conceptual. And there's a lot of stuff about like being a teenager and feeling depressed and going through puberty and stuff like that. Um, it's it's. It's yeah, it's difficult to go into without ruining anything, but I would say like you can watch the first half of it and have a fun cartoon people fighting people fighting monsters time, uh, but the second half is not so much like that. It is uh, <laughs> it's 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 thoughtful um, and yeah, and it's really 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 well paced and well written. Unlike a lot of anime, because I know that when I recommend anime to people, a lot of the time they're all like. It was slow and boring. Nothing happened. Um, And that is a consequence of the production model. Um, And Mm -hmm. a lot of the time when you read the manga that these things are based on, they're very well paced because it's just a comic book story that somebody wrote. But then when when you watch the anime, it will be ludicrously slow and dragged out and there'll be bits that are rubbish because they've been inserted to try and elongate it. Uh, And Ava doesn't have any of those problems. It is very tight it did have some budget problems because the guy was like not super clear about exactly what he was going to do and there was a lot of like last minute changes to the production so the quality of the animation is up and down like generally any action that's going on looks fantastic but then there are a lot of long shots of people's static faces um but usually the writing is good enough to kind of cover that. Um, And it is also, it's worth noting because it's popular in the West, but it is not like, it's not popular like it is in Japan. It's, it's Mm -hmm. one of the most popular anime series of all time in Japan. And, you know, 25 years after it was on, it is still extremely widely like known and thought of. The, The theme tune was the, most popular karaoke song in Japan 
for like 25, 22 years. See, that doesn't, it doesn't surprise me because my first exposure to it was, uh, you know, tying into what we were talking about earlier about print media for you kids who are too young to remember this, but before we had the internet's radio available as you did, a lot of fans of geek stuff like Patrick and myself, we would have to depend on magazines. And the big one for me was a comic called Wizards, the comics magazine, which primarily focused on things being published in the West. But because anime and manga was growing in popularity, they started to dedicate a section. It was like maybe three or four pages. So there's probably a bunch of things that Patrick would see nowadays and he'd know them, but I didn't really know them. And and you'd see those one or two times a year. But there were two really big brands and they were... Dragon Ball and Neon Genesis, you'd see those regularly. So even though I didn't know what it was, I knew it must be huge because it was the one that kept being reported by the Americans, like, you know, more so than anything else. So even though I've never been familiar with it, I knew it's got to be up there, even if it's just in terms of sales, there's, they're doing something right, that it's it's managed to kind of cross over. And this was before anime and manga, like as mainstream as they were in this part of this world, they were, they were hard to get back then. You had to like import the DVDs and, you know, all types, you were paying ridiculous fees just to get stuff. And a lot of stuff wasn't even properly translated. But even at that point in time, Americans knew what Neon Genesis was and they were into it. Yeah, and I still find find it weird to think about that. Like now, it's so easy to get like a Crunchyroll subscription, and there's so much anime on Netflix and stuff like that. Like, and you can just go to Forbidden Planet, and there's shelf after shelf of manga. And like when we first when 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 we when we first started working at Forbidden Planet together, there was very little, and especially anime was really hard to get here. Like you were either bootlegging it or you were taping it off the TV. Like my 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 initial <laughs> like my initial experience with Dragon Ball Z was that I bought videotapes that someone had recorded off Cartoon Network from them <laughs> on eBay because there was no UK release of videos or DVDs and it wasn't running on Cartoon Network at the time. Uh well I think it was actually I think they had Toonami but Toonami in the UK was on at like stupid o'clock in the morning before regular Cartoon Network. Yeah, well, they were, so... and they were doing things like where, like, they were, it was, they were showing, they were like re- repeating like the last couple of seasons of Dragon Ball by this point. And I was a bit like, well, but I haven't seen the start. So how do I watch that? <laughs> and the answer was, fuck off. You should have watched it five years ago. And so I, I ended up, yeah, I ended up buying some guy's videos that he taped off Cartoon Network of Dragon Ball Z. Um, <laughs> And that was my first experience of it because that was, and that was not even like an unusual, like you would buy discs that somebody had burned because they'd downloaded a subtitled copy of the show from somewhere. And like, and you know, back then downloading a single episode of TV took like a day. So, <laughs> so if you wanted 300 episodes of Dragon Ball Z, you, you were like, you were That's spending my ears months. Sorted. Yeah, and then and then you were burning them to five hundred CDs or whatever. Like, yeah, like it sometimes blows my mind how easy. Like, I've got an, a Shonen Jump app on my tablet. Yeah, that I can just read all the manga that Shonen Jump have ever published, and I've got a subscription to Funimation who have just got all the anime that Funimation have ever dubbed, and it's stuff like 
that is just like absolutely mind blowing for anime and manga fans like of our age because yeah. God, it was not easy. It was kids. It was, you don't know how easy you have it nowadays. It was hard work. <laughs> um, the other thing about it is that it's got fantastic designs. Like you touched on that, like with the the figures being really popular. The robot designs are great. The angel designs really succeed in being like they are not kaiju like like Godzilla. They are weird looking things. They look alien in the literal sense. Like one of them's just a big pyramid, like, and it, and it's just like floating through the sky and then they try and attack it and everything just bounces off it and stuff like that. <laughs> Some of them look like kind of monsters, but other ones just look like stuff. And and that's really like and the the threat that they pose is really like visceral and realistic. And you know, there's a lot of the robots, the, the, the Avers have like a power cable in their back. And so you can only fight in the robot within a certain area where your, <laughs> where your cord will stretch to. And when it gets pulled out, you've got like a battery, but it only lasts for like a minute and a half. Wow. Um, and there's a lot of like good tension building. Yeah, but then there's a bit like, it's like, it, I would compare it to the original Matrix. Like it's got very clear rules. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy to build tension because you go, Oh, well, the power cables come out. I've only got two minutes in my robot before it shuts down. Stuff like that. Yeah. Like, um, and the and it's got great visual design. The computers they use and the logos of the organization are absolutely iconic. They are things that if you see them, you will be like, oh, that's that. Because you will have seen nerds wearing t-shirts and badges <laughs> and having stickers on their laptops of these things and you won't have known what they were over the years. But yeah. the second, if you've ever been to a convention, if you've ever been in, like on a message board, you will be all like, oh, hey, it's that thing. Cool. <laughs> that's that's how it was with, that's what, how it was with Naruto because I would see that, that logo everywhere until I finally started going to convention. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing is that like Ava's got so much like really, really iconic imagery that, like has really persisted and there's a reason it's because the visual design is fantastic Mm. it's about a kid called shinji and everybody hates him like in terms of protagonists he is one of the least popular of all time um (laughs) he he is he is difficult to like and you need to watch a lot of a lot of it and re-watch it and think about it before you get to a point where you're all like okay Okay, I see. But he is the kind of the the vehicle for the show to discuss like depression. Like he's he's an interesting character because he's not. It, it kind of plays with the idea of what heroic is and how not only how good it is to be a traditionally heroic character, but how it would feel to be like there's a lot of points where people are all like hey you're the main character you're the chosen one you get to pilot the big robot we all wish we could pilot the big robot and save the world but you get to why don't you get in the robot and pilot it and he's all like i don't want to i'm sad (laughs) i don't like it here it's it's bad being the chosen one and it's really like it can be incredibly frustrating to watch it and have him be there being all like i don't want to make the plot go forward I mean, I'm, I'm not feeling great today but it's also fascinating because it gives you a kind of insight into how frustrating depression is for the people who are dealing with it mm. it also goes into some slightly freudian do teenage boys want to have sex with their mums kind of stuff at times where it's a bit like 
you know, she's my mother figure, but also she's hot and I'm 14 and that's very confusing for me. <laughs> um, and it's like one, one thing I always like, it can be very uncomfortable to watch. Mm. Uh, but unlike a lot of other things where, you know, it'll be all like, Hey, check out this hot girl. And I'm like, oh, anime, can't you just not <laughs> like, it's very, I, I, I feel like the discomfort that I'm feeling is the intended result of the way that he's written it. Yeah. And it also gets into a kind of a weird meta space. You'll get to your monsters, but first we'll be horny. Yeah. And that's the thing, but it's more like there's times where it's all like, hey, this is pretty horny, isn't it? You like that? Do you do you want that to be horny? How do you feel about that? Like is is that is that nice? And it's a bit like, I don't know. I don't know, man. Like I'm I just I'm, want to see I'm people confused. Stuff. Yeah, I'm confused and upset by this. <laughs> And yeah, it's also got a weird kind of meta vibe where as the series goes on, the fans develop desires that they have. They like, we like this person. We want more of this. Uh, And the creator is kind of a bit like, fuck off. I don't like you guys. How dare you want things from the thing I created? I'm going to... And so he either goes into the weird Kojima style, here's what you wanted. Are you enjoying it? No, because I've written it badly to make you upset. Or alternatively, he writes things where it's all like, hey, there's an antagonistic force of people who are trying to make this main character change the things he wants to do, but he's not going to change them because fuck you. See, it's interesting you said that because when you mentioned the Freudian stuff, my mind instantly went to Death Stranding. And I feel like a lot of the plot elements in that because Death Stranding could be a simple game. And I feel like he was like, I feel like he was like, oh, oh, my last game was too linear for you, huh? Ah, I didn't play enough with meta elements, huh? Okay, we're going to have a beat that's really the mum, but the mum is really the universe, and the universe is really a baby. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> yes. And and like a lot of Japanese stuff, you do get into things where you're trying to describe things to other people, and you're all like, so like, so the last couple of episodes of Ava take place in a character's mind, uh, and there's no kind of direct resolution to any of the plot. So the fans were angry. So he made a movie which directly res- resolves the plot, but it's not comfortable to watch because he didn't want to make it. Yeah. And so he makes you feel bad about the fact you're watching it. Um, and it's been like, you really go on a journey with him through his feelings about the thing that he's creating over the course of the franchise, which is really, really interesting, especially if you're the kind of person like us who wants to read about what was going on that's there's a lot of lot of scope for that with Ava because there's a lot of interesting stuff happening um and yeah like it's not afraid so I I think about this other day because I don't know for for any of our listeners who don't know Patrick and I outside his own a comic book company I write and publish a comic book out for that company and you know who knows at the moment my readership's not massive who knows if it could ever grow and become big but I was thinking about as a creator, especially for something creator-owned, that's not work for hire, you created this, that point where it's bigger than you, like, how, what must, like, what feeling must that be like? Like, you know, Mike Mignola has said that when he finally was ready to let other people touch Hellboy, he was really happy and proud that people wanted to do it, but then he started reading reviews and he was seeing fans say that they had never cared for Hellboy before and now they loved it when he was seeing other people write his baby. And so as someone who's created an anime and has directions of where you want it to go, it must be such a weird conflicting feeling 
to know that people are loving it and they're engaging with it, but they want other mm. things that you hadn't anticipated, you know, and it's that weird balance of, okay, I want to satisfy these fans, but I don't want to do that thing. Yeah, and there's a weird thing with Ava where, like, he's been complaining about how he doesn't like making it and he's not enjoying the fan base for the last, like, 15 years whilst continuing to work on it. And, like, and he keeps, like, he set up a new studio <laughs> and was all like, these guys are going to make Evangelion stuff now and I'm going to let go. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the franchise could continue without me. And, and now he's just, it's been like 15 years since then, he's still just working on it. And, and I assume that he's just like, hes I'm assuming he lets other people have a go and then he's all like, no, you're doing it wrong. Fuck off. Like, this is, you know, that's not how you do this. Yeah. So I think that that's like, and, and it shows there's a lot of stuff like he's clearly, he's had depression problems. And so that comes through in the thing. I don't know anything about his family life, but I would bet he's got a complicated relationship with his parents because there's a lot of odd parent-child kind of dynamics going on where, like, people's parents are scary or abusive or they're, like, kind and loving and there's, like, mixtures of feelings there. And that stuff's really, really interesting to to, to kind of to kind of look at. Um, yeah, I would say it does, on the surface, it has some of the problems that a lot of anime has where it will be all like, hey, this girl's 14, here's her butt. And I I don't like, because sometimes I'm all like, hey, that's clever. It was playing with my expectations of things. And other times I'm all like, dude, get the butt off the screen, man. Like, um, I think it's difficult culturally because when mm. you engage with a lot of Japanese media, there are very different ideas about what is and isn't acceptable. Yeah. And you see that in the translations of things like mm -hmm. so often, like it's not, and it's not just women. It's most, it's often women, but like the, the Dragon Ball translation is really interesting. If you watch, uh, if you look at what the original Japanese version of Dragon Ball looks like, it is a children's cartoon where Goku's always getting his penis out. And, and it's often played for like a hilarious joke because obviously kids like a penis joke yeah. and it's aimed at children, broadly speaking. And in Japan, it's fine to just have a little comic where the guy gets his dick out. And it's funny because he's, because he's weeing or whatever. And that's something that Western society is just all like, I, I, we, we can't have a kid weighing with his penis out. Like that's that's not that's not fertile ground for a joke for us. Like um, and like in, in in the original Dragon Ball, you'll notice that if you if you look at what the original panels look like, all the adult characters are always just smoking and drinking because like it's fine to show adults smoking and drinking in a Japanese cartoon as long as the children aren't doing it. Yeah. Whereas here. And especially in America, there's this kind of slightly puritanical, oh, well, if we show the children smoking, they will want smoking. So no no smoking in cartoons and stuff. <laughs> and like, it's different. I think one of the things that's difficult as a Western person is that like, it's hard to look at media from other cultures and go, that's bad. Like that's because my ideas of what are and aren't acceptable are completely created by the environment I've grown up in. Mm -hmm. And I have no appreciation of what another culture considers to be acceptable or unacceptable. And there are aspects, especially with regards to gender, there are aspects of anime that I often find to be really progressive. And like, there are ways in which Japan's culture treats women with kind of a respect that Western culture never does. But then also there's a lot of buts and and so it's hard to kind of like it's hard to kind of pass it as a western person i think after you've watched a lot of anime you kind of just get used to it yeah. and you're just sometimes a bit like oh gross um 
Yeah. But I know that for like new people coming into it, sometimes they're a bit like, what the fuck is this? Like, why is this show so horny? <laughs> um, especially when it's not nominally about that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and sometimes Ava has bits where it's like, hey, like this girl's got a butt out and, and it's supposed to be uncomfortable. And other times it just seems a bit like, hey, look, butts. Yay. And I'm just, <laughs> and it's it's hard to kind of like, it's hard to pass all of that, but it, you know, it plays into the pro it, it, it plays with those ideas and folds them into the themes better than any other anime I've ever seen. And it's got a cute penguin. Everyone likes penguins, Everyone loves right? Penguin. Um, yeah. So like without going into spoilers, I feel like that's probably the best description I can give of how, why it's good and why people like it. So someone listens to this and they want to dive into a piece of media that's not going to be too full on. Where do they start? Okay, so yeah, so this is the other, this is the second half. So there's a lot of things with Neon Genesis Evangelion written on them. And it might be, and it's difficult to kind of to go over them. Like, so in terms of how you watch it, it's always been very hard to get hold of. I don't know if you remember, but we had like platinum collection DVDs of mm. Forbidden Planet, which I remember they were like 50 quid or whatever. Yeah, they the were box expensive. Set. And I remember being all like, I took one home and then watched it and then took it back to work. And I was all like, well, I'm not paying like 50 quid for those. <laughs> those are worth like 500 pounds. I was going to say, I um, bet you should have heard <laughs> of that. extremely rare. <laughs> yeah, a new Blu-ray set's just come out and I was all like, hey, that looks nice. And so I clicked on the thing to try and buy it and it was just like, sold out. Fuck off. You ain't buying this. And I was like, oh, okay then. That's that's cool. I guess, I, I guess I'm not buying it. Um, so it's always been historically very difficult to get hold of. Uh, but Netflix have bought the rights to the original series. Okay. So in terms of what you want to watch, you always, always want to start with the original 26 episode run, which is on Netflix. It's just called Neon Genesis Evangelion. It's a 20, yeah, 20 minute episodes, 26 of them. That is where you begin. Everybody subtitled? should begin. Is, is it subtitled on Netflix or is it only dubbed? You can have, you can have subtitled or dubbed. Nice. Um, so if you go online and you read the fans, they will tell you that the dub on Netflix is trash. That is the worst thing in the world. That it will basically burn your ears <laughs> if you listen to it. It's slightly worse than the old dub, but it's fine. Okay. It's, it's, it's all right. Like it's it's it's. I I do prefer the original dub, but I but you know I have a nostalgic link to that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like. You'll also hear people occasionally doing that weird thing like they do with Star Wars, where they'll be like, you know, you shouldn't just watch them in the order that they're there. You should watch up to episode 22 and then you should skip to this. Don't do that. <laughs> just watch the TV show in the order that it's presented, 26 episodes and you're done. There's a movie on there called Death and Rebirth. That is not necessary viewing. That's basically a recap. Cool. of the show um, in movie form. It's got a couple of extra scenes in it and some nice extra music, but unless you're like a huge fan, Completist, yeah. it's not necessary. Yeah. Um, so you watch the original series, 26 episodes, and then you watch the movie, The End of Evangelion, mm -hmm. uh, which is a uh, hour and a half long animated movie. It's got some of the best animation I've ever seen in it. Nice. It's like an alternate ending to the series but you won't understand it properly if you haven't watched the series okay. so again when people are like oh i hate the last couple of episodes you should just replace don't do <laughs> like just just 
they just need watch the context the for it to work. Yes. Watch the series 26 episodes and then watch the movie. Mm-hmm. That is the quintessential Evangelion experience. It's only, it's probably only like five or six hours and it is all on Netflix. Nice. So that is how you watch the show. There is also a new set of movies. They are, they are very confusingly named. <laughs> They like they're called the first one's called like Avanger. They were called like 1.0 or something, but then when he re-released them on Blu-ray, he chopped them up a bit. So like now they're called like 1.11 or something. <laughs> and they're called like you can not return or you cannot redo. And like the new one's called, yeah, like we did this on the well, I was talking about what I'd watched this year. The new one is called Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.11 thrice upon a time. And that, just rolls like, if you see, like, yeah, right, this is so easy to understand. <laughs> um, but basically, there's four new movies. They are all now on Amazon Prime. Cool. So you can watch all of them on Amazon Prime. The only slightly jarring thing might be is that the the new movies are have the voice cast of the original TV show dub and the Netflix dub is a new voice cast. Mm-hmm. So the voices will change a bit when you switch to the movies. Um, they nominally retell the same story as the series. The first movie is very similar to the first four or five episodes of the show, and except with nicer modern anima- animation. Um, but midway through the second movie, they swerve into a very, very different kind of story. And again, whilst it might be tempting to go, hey, you know, this movie is a retelling of this series, it doesn't really work unless you're familiar with the series. So, like, you will be missing the context of what is going on. And also there's just little bits like where the series gives gives characters and moments time to breathe that a movie that's retelling five, six episodes of a TV series in in an hour and a half just doesn't happen. Mm. So like, it doesn't like, again, I've heard people online be all like, Oh, you can just start with the, with the reboot. Don't do that. (laughs) Do not do that. You watch the original TV series. Then you watch the Evangelion movie. And then if you really enjoy them, you watch the four new movies in order and when you start the first movie and you're like oh this is very similar to the series just stick with it because it's not going to be very similar to the series for any length of time like and they round off in the most recent movie which came out this year uh, which is not only an end to that series of four films but is a very very satisfying end to the whole saga of the last 20 years so yeah so i would say original series on netflix End of Evangelion on Netflix, four new movies on Amazon Prime. And then, yeah, like you'd probably be done in a week or two and you've experienced all of the relevant Evangelion media from the last 20 years. Cool. Because, you know. Has it, has it um, been adapted to video games? Yes. Are they any good? Um, they are weird. So the most popular ones, like there's, a, there's some dating games, there's some <laughs> visual novels. There's less games where you fight where you pilot giant robots and fight monsters you <laughs> expect. And there's more games where you hang out at school with the characters and talk to them. Um, a lot, the, in fairness, what I would say is that like I'm aware of the Evangelion games, but very few of them have ever been translated into English. They are cool. not easy to get in the West. Cool. There is a PS2 game which has 
tons and tons of canon information and backstory that the wiki uses all the time. So when you're on the wiki, they'll often be all like, they'll often reference this one PS2 game <laughs> because it is full of all this backstory that was never included in the TV show. Mm. Um, but again, I don't think any of these things have ever been translated into into English. And there's and there's a weird kind of cyclical nature to where the movie, the reboot movies are like the same story as the TV show, but they also kind of imply that maybe they're happening after it and somehow things have kind of circled back around. Mm. And the games also like, it's kind of like, it's not so much a, here's a game based on this TV show. Often I think the games are kind of like, here's a game based in a parallel universe with <laughs> the same characters as the TV show, but what if they lived in a different world where they all just went to school and there were no robots and someone else was someone mom and these two people have been adopted it's just it's much <laughs> i would uh, i've spent a lot of time on evangelium media and i don't really understand the game so um so, if you so see just stick to the netflix and, and amazon prime series for that <laughs> yeah and if you see something that's been translated into english give it a go but like there's no like it's not like with other things where you like with dragon ball you can look at it and go this is the good dragon ball z game mm-hmm. do you know what i mean yeah. like whereas like it's in most of it's never been translated mm-hmm. what house is weird <laughs> so yeah you don't need to and similarly there is a manga series and it has been translated into english it's hard to find and um i don't and again i don't think it's telling the exact story of the anime i think it's telling like a a retelling mm. of the same story. So again, it's not essential. The, if you want to experience the series, all you need is Netflix and Amazon Prime. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, cool. And uh, and I would recommend it highly to anybody. Give it a go. Yeah, well, stick with sweet. it. Yeah. Well, I've got I've got Netflix and Amazon Prime, so I think I'll be checking them out this week. I'll let you know next week. Oh, I'd love it if you watched some anime. I, that, that would just I'm going to be... give it a go. It doesn't. I don't understand it, but I will give it a go. And that segues nicely into. What's really good, Patrick? Um, okay, so me and Beth have been watching The Crown. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, I've been very resistant to watching The Crown because I'm not the biggest monarchist, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, but it's got such a stellar cast and and people that I love, people love it and they keep talking to me about it. So we decided to watch it. And, you know, it's 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 real good. Um, okay. It's- I'd heard good things about it, but like you, I'm not a fan of the royals. And I'm also very much against the idea of making me fancy Margaret Thatcher. I don't want that. Yes. I mean, I've not got to Thatcher yet, um, but I am concerned that they're going to, like they did a bit of, they did a bit of humanizing Winston Churchill, which I felt very uncomfortable mm. with. Cause I was a bit like, in fairness, they, it, though, what I would say is it is very good for, it's not like, isn't the queen wonderful? Isn't Winston Churchill the greatest human who ever lived? It is really good at showing multiple sides of those things i i was surprised by how fascinating prince philip is like his life prior to marrying the queen is insane okay. and so that's really interesting and a lot of it's based on real historical events and so sometimes you're like what's happening i don't know what happened in 1964 and other times think an episode will start and it'll have a date and something will start happening i'll be all like oh i know what this is oh no <laughs> um so that's really really fascinating and yeah it's really well written it's really well acted it's really the costumes and sets are so beautiful uh and the cast is insane it constantly has people um it's got that guy who played ozymandias in 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 matthew good uh snyder's watchman film 
Um, and he just shows up as like a part side character. A lot of the cast of Game of Thrones are in it. Yeah, Charles Dance is in it, isn't he? I keep on being all like, who's that dude? Oh, it's Stannis. <laughs> yes, he's. I've just got to the point where he's shown up and he's really lifted the 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 whole thing because he's just electric. He's such a spectacular actor. Yeah. Let me. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I've heard nothing but rave reviews about it. I'm just not a fan of the Royals. I'm not a fan of period pieces either. I did try and watch it myself, um, and it didn't really do much for me. But I, it's one of the things. Even though it doesn't work for me, I 100% get the hype. I understand why people are such fans of it. What I would say is that I am also not a fan of period drama or or particularly interested in the royal family. And the first couple of episodes, I was all like, ah, I don't think I like this. But mm. we were watching it together, so I was like, I'll persist. It's good. Okay. And actually, if you give it a little bit of time, it's 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 really, really interesting. And there's really interesting stuff about like the historical context. As it turns out, I don't know very much about what happened in Britain before the 50s. Like, <laughs> like, like I'm aware of the wars and like and kind of like stuff like that. But like there is a lot of context there to like what was going on in, in the country where we live. Okay. I I don't know. Yeah, and I just it was, it's interesting. Was cooking stuff with lard, and not much else happened. Yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty much my my interpretation of it as well. Yeah, like it was it was it was rainy. Yeah, and yeah, it used to snow more, I think. Um, and like I've got yeah, I've got no kind of context, and so that's really interesting. Uh, and googling a bit after each episode, what you'll find is that a lot of it's very accurate. Mm-hmm. Like uh, obviously, they have to kind of give have some artistic license to what did the queen think about this and what did she yeah, say. Yeah, obviously, there's backdoor it, conversations and whatnot that no one was really privy to. So you yeah, just exactly. Dramatize it. But what you do find is that in the years since these things have happened, the Queen has spoken to people about them and people have researched and written books about these things. So there is an idea of what was happening mm-hmm. behind the scenes. And yeah, it's really, really good. Okay. Um, and yeah, I'd really recommend it. Uh, and also yesterday, me and Beth played through a game called uh, Agatha Christie's The ABC Murders on, on the PlayStation. Mm. Uh, it is a it is a 2016 PS4, Xbox One, PC game based on the Agatha Christie novel starring Hercule Poirot. Um, <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's cheap, is what I would say. It's, it's not, <laughs> like, it's got, it's got bad animation and, and weird voice acting and it doesn't know what kind of game it wants to be where sometimes it's a puzzle game and sometimes it's like a story-based game and sometimes it wants you to explore did you mean resident evil i mean it's way weirder than that like (laughs) like there's a whole long section where they're all they go to this guy's house and they're like oh he sure loves incredibly complex puzzle boxes that he uses to store all of his documents and then you just have to i spent like an hour just doing these really weird puzzles (laughs) trying to get things out of boxes and then the game was just all like yeah done with that now no no more of those forget (laughs) it and yeah like and and but uh but you know it took us i think we played it over the course of the afternoon it took like probably like three or four hours and it was fun i had had a fun time i think it cost me it was in the playstation sale and i think it cost like three pounds nice and for three quid, it was a fun afternoon. And like, I like kind of, I like the idea of like detective games, but they never really work. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they never, they never, because you, you have that kind of weird balance between you can't make it obvious, but also you can't make it so confusing that there's no way you can ever solve it. Yeah. You can't make the puzzles so complex that you can't figure them out, but you don't want them to be laughably simple. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I think the best example, but then this, the problem is, so the best example to me is L.A. Noir, but then, 
how do you make an L.A. Noir? It takes you seven years and a team full of developers who all lose their mind because of crunch. So it's not really feasible for a studio to regularly put those out. Yeah, and in some ways, what I would rather see is a cheap little game knocked out where they explore some of those ideas and they don't do it perfectly. But, you know, it cost me three quid, took me a couple of hours and it was fun. Uh, so, yeah, like, that's pretty much all I've engaged with this week, though, because I've been working a lot so what have you been watching uh three things mainly yellow jackets finally ended i will not say anything other than please watch it it was heartbreaking as patrick will tell you my soul left my body a long time ago and i am unfazed by what you human beings call emotions but i bored like a baby at the finale like there's basically an event that from the first episode you're told is going to happen but you don't know how it's going to happen and they keep having loads of red herrings and it occurs in the finale and it broke me. The entire cast deserves Emmys. They're fantastic. It, it was really, really good. And it's also, it does that great thing of, it answered a lot of questions. And of course, they very sensibly set up a bunch of questions. So you want to come back for season two. But, nice. But there was enough resolution of things that it wasn't just like, oh, come on, do we not know anything? They, they did you know answer some things so yeah I, I just can't recommend it enough it, it it's great it's a lot of fun it's really well filmed really well acted both the, the adult cast and, and the younger cast great representation mainly female uh, creators behind and in front of the lens and some great cg as well for that type of show you wouldn't think of it but the cg and the makeup is fantastic so go watch yellow jackets i then kept watching book of boba fett which is fine it's essentially a reskinned mandalorian so it has the same kind of sets the same story beats which is not surprising because it's written by john favreau and directed by robert rodriguez it will do until the mandalorian comes back but unfortunately it's a shame that they haven't chosen to go off in whole other direction you know they've obviously seen that mandalorian did well so they'll just make another space western so a bit of a missed opportunity especially when you've got the original actor of Django fett back in the role but it's fine. And then you I mean, I'm not even fan. a big Go on. I'm not even a big fan of I'm not even a big fan of the Mandalorian. So like I I, I like I, I feel like a lot of this stuff is like I know I know that lots of people are like, God, the Star Wars universe is so exciting. Think how many stories you could set in it. But I'm always a bit like Is it though? <laughs> it, is it is it really exciting? Like or is it like always on some desert planet with a few robots? Yeah. Like, like I just I, like, I just want to see someone make like a big gay Star Wars sitcom about a guy that owns a gay disco in one of the planet. Like, I want to watch that. That would be, I'd watch that. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'd definitely watch that. That sounds awesome. Um, but like, I also, for me, I've always kind of found like, you know, they're always, I always see Star Wars fans being like, oh, it doesn't always need to be about like Jedis and lightsabers and stuff. And there's a bit of me that's always kind of like, yeah, it does. That's what makes Star Wars different to the sci-fi. Like, I, oh, I would like it oh, if it was always about I was going to say, you might actually like the last episode of Book of Boba Fett because he comes across some spy smugglers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so we basically okay. have a, a like a side plot where he um, has to get hold of some spy smugglers. And during that, he ends up taking some spice. So we see the effect of it. So that was interesting. But that was the most interesting thing that's happened to him so far. And he's a bounty hunter. So that kind of tells you how they're not really doing a great job. Um, I also watched... You know, what would be interesting is if he had a fucking lightsaber. That's what would be interesting. <laughs> if he had a lightsaber and he could use the force and he was all like... 
that's 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 what'd be fun. I also watched Lock and Key season two. I don't know if you watched season one. So for those that don't know, I did. Yeah, Lock and Key is an adaptation of the IDW comic book series, which is fantastic. I really liked season one. It's one of the few shows on TV with a bunch of kid actors who aren't annoying as hell. It had some really imaginative uses of magic, some great CG. Um, some great practical effects as well and it's just a great enjoyable cast i enjoyed it season two i've just finished and i liked it but i think it's one of those shows where the plot only progresses because people keep doing stupid things and that kind Ah, of annoys me when customer when characters just lose all sense of logic or rational thought and a lot of that happens it's one of those things where every episode your decisions increasingly escalate the tension because you're idiots it's not it's not that you keep getting caught in bad situations you keep doing stupid things stop doing the stupid things so i do love the cast and there's some great additions and they add to the lore and and they fill in some of the plot the 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 background from from the first season but i don't know there was just so many episodes where i was like well that's a stupid thing and anyone who has a brain could tell you that's a stupid thing and you maybe shouldn't have done the stupid thing and now this has happened so it's a shame uh, it sets up a season three but it also i think they've ended it in a way that if netflix cancels it like netflix seems to cancel everything then you're not going to be dissatisfied so watch it just what i would say to the people who've already watched season one don't set the bar that high it's not quite on that level unfortunately but you know hopefully if they do get a season three they'll they'll improve upon this the last thing i watched was euphoria uh, for those that don't know euphoria is a show starring zendaya and a really talented cast of young actors it's executive produced by drake it's on hbo it's one of the most beautifully shot things on tv it's kind of like the best way to describe it is i guess it's an american modern take on skins it's hey kids actually have sex and and take drugs and have their own issues and they and some of that stuff is skins to the 10th degree so like there is an actress on it called sydney sweeney who is gorgeous actress but they seem to find an insane amount of reasons why her top should come off every five minutes just in context where it just she doesn't need to be topless but somehow oh look she's topless again so there's it leans into a lot of that like look how much sex there is and you just see so many penises there are so many penises so that kind of stuff i'm like i get it it's shocking aren't these kids doing shocking things and that kind of stuff i can deal without but the stuff it does really well zendaya's character deals with depression and substance abuse and a lot of other characters have real issues and Zendaya's partner in the show is not only a trans character but a trans actor and they deal with the point in her life when she knew she was trans and she knew this wasn't the body she wanted to be in and how she went about transitioning and they deal with all that stuff and it's a cast where I I believe they're all in their mid to late 20s and then they're basically playing high schoolers so there is kind of a weird factor about that especially with how much sex there is in it but for the parts that it gets right which i would say are the the way they deal with real world issues and then funnily enough the way they deal with the more exaggerated things like the stylistic choices and the music choices and the clothes sometimes it's a much larger than life scenario you're dealing dealing with like drug deals gone wrong and stuff and it all just kind of escalates it, it gets a lot more right than it gets wrong so if you're willing to overlook an insane amount of gratuitous nudity 
you'll see some of the best acting and direction, directing that you're going to see in American TV. Season one's fantastic. They did two one-off specials that were their way of getting around the pandemic, which are literally focused on... Each episode is only focused on two characters, two characters having a conversation for like an hour, but it works. And that was their way of dealing with not being able to have the whole cast and crew get together for the pandemic. Did they not essential? I would almost call them the TV equivalent of DLC. They just kind of fill out the space between season one and season two. But season two, I think, is now three episodes deep. Highly recommend it. If you're in the States, you will find them on HBO Max. If you are outside of there, then you're going to have to be a little bit fiddly. But uh, yeah, so those are my recommendations. Isn't most HBO stuff on Now TV in the UK? Now TV or Sky Atlantic has some of them. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Actually, I think Euphoria is on Now TV. So don't illegally download it. I don't know who told that. I didn't say that. Who said that? I don't know what we're going to well, It depends on what you hate. Hate hate Sky. If you hate Sky and funneling, yeah, let's stick funneling to cash Murdoch. to the Murdoch Empire. <laughs> I'm going to watch it illegally on two screens. Well, try and stop me. So next week, well, in time for next week, Patrick is going to watch The Eternals and Shang Chi, which he hasn't watched, and we will discuss those. So if you haven't seen them and you would like to know what we're talking about, watch them this week. You got seven days, buddy. Yeah, next week we'll catch up on shit, drab-looking Marvel stuff that I didn't bother to watch. Yay! <laughs> That's what you're coming to us for. But yeah, thank you. As always, like, subscribe, rate, all that good stuff. Send it to your friends. And uh, we will catch you for the next one when we talk about the less interesting Marvel stuff. Bye!